You're listening to Different Things Can Be Sad. Hello and welcome to Different Things Can Be Sad, where it's cool to care about politics and pop culture. I'm Yasmin Lomax. And I'm Micah Hahn. And we are your hosts of this monthly dose of politics and pop culture. But before we get into the educational side of things, Micah, would you like to tell me how your August 2021 has been? Let's do a catch up. Um, it was it was good. I mean, it was summer um, still, which has been nice, though kind of like very excited for cozy fall fashion. Oh, girl, girl, um, I'm so ready for it. Yeah, I, it's, it's going to be good. I've been stocking Poshmark to try and like... <gasps> Get Same. some goods. I got the most beautiful, like pleated, like midi skirt that's all floral, and so it'll be a beautiful, like transition piece. I'm very Ooh, excited. I have been like on Poshmark maybe 23 hours a day lately, trying to find similar pair of boots. They're like a Mark Fisher boot that was in the Nordstrom sale a few weeks ago, nice. and I should have just got them in the Nordstrom sale, and I didn't. And now they're not on sale, and they aren't quite expensive so i would love to find something similar on poshmark so totally feel you with that app obsession it's very Mm -hmm. real very very real i've been good i went away for like the longest holiday i or vacation i have had since (laughs) moving to the u.s um i was away all up like i mean i took a full week off work which was crazy and Mm -hmm. flew to Chicago and then drove to Northern Michigan and had a lovely week at a lake house there. So very relaxing, lots of food, especially by the campfire, and lots of reading, which I would love to discuss with you, Micah, because we do kick off every episode with our reading, watching, and listening. So do you want to go first? Do you want to tell us about what you read in August? Sure. Um, I actually, I did read this. I remember last episode, I was like, want to read in August. I did that. So that's good. Yes. You had the book that I believe you're about to mention. You had this one and like a couple other ones in your queue, but I feel like you're going to prioritize this. Am I right? Yes. And that happened. So the book, um, I love talking about is The Anthropocene Reviewed by John Green. Um, and it kind of has a cheesy premise. It's a collection of essays Um, in which Green rates the facets of the human-centered planet on a five-star scale. So what would these facets be? Um, So they're they're like really everywhere. So the Lascaux cave paintings, um, the Hall of Presidents at Disney World, (laughs) um, grass, uh, real like all over the board. Okay, that seems like a um, thing I would see John Green covering yeah. either on a podcast or like Hank Green doing it on TikTok. Exactly. So, um, well, I think the premise is really cheesy. The execution of it is really well done. Mm-hmm. Um, basically, through these like really short, like five to six page essays, um, Green is like incredibly vulnerable about his life and his struggles with his mental health and his family and like part I think what's really interesting about it is a lot of the essays were written over the course of the first year of the pandemic Mm -hmm. and they're all like the ones that are about that nominally 
are dated. So, you know, like it's March 2020. It's August okay, okay. whatever. Um, so you, you can, see, can see where his head was at. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, they, they're just really beautifully written um, and quite comforting at times. I think John Green has a really... It, it, he's he's very good at expressing like what it feels like to have um, mental health issues, and I think he and like putting you in a place in time because a lot of it is about mm-hmm. interweaving like this thing that he's revering with his life. Totally. Well, that sounds really interesting. I actually, when I was in Michigan, I actually saw signed copies of this in a bookstore. But yeah. my suitcase was like so full of books that I literally couldn't fit any more in, and they was like it was like a big chunky hardback. So maybe yeah, next is. time. The whole first run was signed, so you didn't like miss out on special okay. ones. Okay, right. I think I do remember him like, oh, maybe it was hankering doing some post about signing books. I can't quite remember, but he's probably John. John, I think John Green has signed the first run of all of his books since The Fault in Our Stars. Right, okay. It's ringing bells. So, it's ringing bells. Yeah. I get it. Okay. Did you read anything else? I did. I, in the ultimate bout of procrastination, um, listened to two audiobooks instead of working. Ooh. Um, so I started reading the Brown Sister series by Talia Hibbert. Mm. Okay, so, so I, I the- started these. Like, I started yeah. the first one could not get into it so could you like sell this to me yes so Mm -hmm. the first one that yes is also read is called get a life chloe brown when i say read like the first chapter i i couldn't get it i i (laughs) I agree that the first couple chapters kind of annoying um and had the audiobook helps but they're just incredibly cute romance novels. Mm-hmm. And each one is about one of the three sisters. And I think the two things that stood out to me, um, one is that the men in the books actually go to therapy. I think it's a trope in the romance genre of like, these men just need therapy and it would be fine. The men, These men get therapy and you see how that works. Interesting. Um, so that was refreshing. Um, the other thing I found was really um, was different about these books that I hadn't seen before is that they f- feature black female leads, mm. which I don't think I've read before, which it's I mean, I don't read like a huge amount of romance, but when I do, it's like overwhelmingly white. I, I agree. Just the totally. space in general. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think along with that, the first book about Chloe Brown is about um, she has a chronic illness and I think the way that, that was handled and written about was really well done mm-hmm. and um, it was just interesting to see romance from like be accessible mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. when like generally people with disabilities are seen as unsexualized mm-hmm. um, so yeah I think listening to them and get, they're kind of yeah. The two characters are a little like jarring in the first two chapters, but once you yeah. get over that kind of hump, I think as they like see past each other, um, I think the romance is really cute, and um, I think it's it's quite fun. Yeah, I think I'll give it a go. I feel like my problem was is the lead is like 
a very wealthy woman who's yeah. very rude to the male lead because she views him as like lesser because he's not as rich or as educated. Well, so I think that's the presumption that the male lead has. And then you find out that that isn't the case. And it's like, okay, maybe I didn't get learn that more far from perspective. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think when I read that, I was like a little confused because I feel like the times where I've read about very obnoxious wealthy people or even like seen them has been in shows like Succession where you're not mm-hmm. supposed to want them to fall in love with someone, you know? So maybe I just need to get to that chapter where we get to hear her side of the story. So thank you for selling that one, Micah. I believe you. Um, I read a romance book while I was away in Michigan, but the two that I just wanted to call out today were We Ride Upon Sticks by Quan Bari and Old Girls by Emily Layden, mainly because they are both books set in New England at schools. And that just gives me like the ultimate fall vibes. Mm-hmm. And I just want to put a big call out. Last time it was for beach reads. This time it is for fall reads. I know we're just coming to September, but I'm really, really ready for fall. And I really want books that are like boarding school, crunchy leaves, New England, witches, not scary. I don't want like scary, scary murders or anything, but like spooky. That is what I'm hunting mm-hmm. for. So I thought to kind of kick it off, I would share some of the books that are on my list that I'm very excited about. So I have The X hex by Erin Sterling, which is coming out in September. I have Payback's a Witch by Lana Harper coming out in October. I'm currently listening to the audiobook of Toil and Trouble, 15 Tales of Women and Witchcraft, which is a YA anthology. I have Practical Magic by Alice Hoffman on reserve, which is the original novel of the Nicole Kidman Sandra Bullock movie that we all know and love. Mm. I should be picking up uh, The Secret History by Donna Tartt soon, as well as Cackle by Rachel Harrison, A Deadly Education by Naomi Novik, and The Once and Future Witches by Alice E. Harrow. So super excited for those. And then I would like to give a few recommendations for my favorite fall books, aside from Harry Potter, because I feel like we don't need to shout out that woman um, anymore. So House of Hollow by Crystal Sutherland, which I have raved about in a previous episode and is still my favorite book of this year. It follows three very unusual sisters who once went missing in Scotland when they were kids and are now older and still seem to wield some mysterious magical power. The oldest one goes missing and the two younger have to find her. So really takes you on a roller coaster I was not expecting and just absolutely addictive and gorgeously written. I also love When You Reach Me by Rebecca Stead, which again, I think I've mentioned in an episode from last year when we were talking about like comfort recommendations during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. This one's a big comfort uh, read for me. It is a middle grade book about a young girl in New York in the 1970s. And you can just like feel the sepia tinge through it. (laughs) It also has like a game show in it. It has time travel. It's, It's pretty cool. And then last but not least, Catherine House by Elizabeth Thomas. Again, 90% sure I've recommended this one last year. But it is about a school that's like a four-year boarding school, but it's a college. So I guess that sounds like a regular college. But the only thing is it's like out in the middle of nowhere in like, I believe, Pennsylvania. And once you go, you're not allowed to leave for four years. 
So you're like completely there mm-hmm. through all holidays. You've like kind of no contact with the outside world. And there is a mysterious discipline in the school called new materials that has got our protagonist a little spooked out. So definitely recommend all those fall books. Please, please give me more. Um, moving on, Micah, did you watch anything fabulous in August? Um, I did watch quite a few movies. The one I wanted to talk to you about is Luca. Um, um. Yeah. So summer in Italy, a boy meets a new friend who introduces him to a whole new world. It's not Call Me By Your Name. It's Pixar's <laughs> It's the, the parallels are abound. Um, but it, um, it's about a boy who uh, is uh, like a mermaid. And he wants to see what's uh, on the surface. And he wants to ride a Vespa. And it's just incredibly cute. Um, it's about discovering yourself. I find, I think Pixar movies have been like really deep in the mm. last five years. Like mm. about depression or about death or about whatever. What are the other ones? I don't remember. Um, but this Was is that just like. Up and uh, Inside Out you were <laughs> Inside talking Out about? and Soul. So okay. sad. up also super sad. It's kind of a little older, right? Yeah. But this is just like cute and they like ride a Vespa and it's a fun time. Um Is this a full length movie? It's a full length movie. Oh, for some reason I thought it was a short. No, no, no. It's on it's um silly. I guess it's on Disney Plus. Um if you want like something just like fun to watch. It still has big summer vibes if you're still into that. So we love that. We love that. I'm actually going to kick off with a kind of another cute, fun escapism recommendation. I'm also going to stop saying kick off in this episode because I think that's been like the third time. I don't know <laughs> who I think I am, like a soccer coach or something. But wasn't going to mention this. Had to. It's called Motel Makeover on Netflix, and it's about mm. uh, two Canadian women who are amazing and genius but have insane vocal fry. And they spend um, 2020 renovating a whole motel. So it kind of does start off like a horror movie because like the opening title is like January 2020. And you're like, oh, no. Oh, this motel is not going to go well for you in about two months. Mm -mm. Um, And it doesn't. They have some setbacks, but they eventually open it. And it's very fun. And I like that they're Canadian because I honestly couldn't tell for like 99% of the time. But every time they said out or about, which came up surprisingly often, it was in like the mm-hmm. thickest Canadian accent ever. So we love that. Mike, you might want to watch it and represent the homeland there. I will. Yeah. But in more dark recommendations, I watched White Lotus this month and mm. freaking adore adored it have you watched this yet michael i haven't yet oh. it's on the list okay i think you're gonna adore it because like you love succession and this is mm-hmm. like tropical succession so it's a short hbo series and it's been called a sharp social satire which i definitely agree with because it follows the guests and employees of a luxury hotel in hawaii so the first episode begins very dramatic we get this like flash forward of after everyone has left the vacation after they've left the hotel and the audience learns that in that past week one of the guests at the hotel has died and 
then the show kind of just like drops that and we have fun watching their like ridiculous antics until right at the end when the stakes get turned way up again so Mm. it was an interesting ride that they took you on I feel like other shows have always like constantly making you aware that something grim is going to happen or it's like a complete surprise and it's also great because the only character that you see alive in the flash forward is the worst character so you like he is just an asshole he's played by Jake Lacey his name is Shane we love him because like he's so well performed but he is like a male Karen and the fact that you have to watch the whole show and be like damn it it isn't this dude that dies is amazing actually like a stroke of genius but it's also like this really funny and dramatic examination of privilege and class like for example one of the storylines follows Shane constantly fighting with the hotel manager over moving into the pineapple suite which is like the luxury honeymoon suite that he believes he has booked or that his mom has booked and paid for him so very very Mm. funny as he basically terrorizes this poor manager over a room when he has a perfectly nice one with like ocean views so nice yes yes definitely recommend white lotus i think it is a topic of conversation for everyone this month Um, i've heard a lot of buzz around it Uh, Taking it back a little bit more, I've also been watching Search Party, which again, Mike, I have to ask, have you watched this one? I haven't. Okay, another one that I feel is going to be like right up your alley. So Mm. it's also on HBO and there are four seasons. The most recent one just came out this year and I only started watching the whole thing like about, I think in August. Um, It's very, very quick. Like each season has about 10 episodes and they're about 25 minutes. So you can nearly get through a season in a day. But The first season, which came out in, I think, like, 2016, maybe, it follows a group of 20-somethings. So we've got Directionless Dory, who is played by Aaliyah Shawkat, who we love, her very amiable boyfriend, Drew, and then their friends, Narcissistic Elliot and wannabe actress Portia, as they try to find a college classmate who they learn has gone missing. And then the following seasons kind of escalate from there it's basically dealing with the aftermath of this case what i really like about the show is that it's very very funny and it's also very good at genres so like each season is a kind of take on a different genre so the first one is obviously like a mystery so we see a lot of Mm -hmm. like tropey things like clues and red herrings and it does all the right beats The other seasons, I can't tell you what their theme is, but it is very interesting to see how how they do that. So definitely recommend Search Party as well. Nice. So much goodness in August. This was the month we were also treated to lots of new music, and I believe we both want to discuss two albums that came out this month from some forever faves. Should we go with The Killers first? Yes. Let's Let's do do it. Let's do it. So they released Pressure Machine this month. What do you think about it? Or what do you have Um, to say about it? Can you tell the audience all about it? Yeah. So this is like this album came out like a year after Imploding the Mirage. So they're really busy during the pandemic. Um, I would say it's a concept album. Mm -hmm. Um, It's about Brandon Flowers' hometown called Nephi or who knows. Utah. It's in Utah. Um, as we know, him being a Mormon and all. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And it's definitely more country than their previous stuff. 
um, I think what makes a concept album is that the at the beginning of each song is like a short interview or just like a narration from one of the people from the town. Um, pro tip: if you like listen to it with the narration, because I think they're really interesting. Yeah. But if you just want to listen to music afterwards, you can get an abridged version of the album that does not have mm-hmm. the uh, storytelling. So if you're like want to work and not like. <laughs> yeah yeah but um i liked it i think it's really interesting um and i i am liking these kind of new vibes yeah i totally agree totally agree that i think it's a concept album like it's pretty concepty and i really like that they took this artistic direction like okay it might not be as like concert boppy as their previous stuff Mm -hmm. but I think like when you've written Mr. Brightside you've already done your duty to creating concert ready bangers so like at this stage like I've been to many a killer show they have got enough material to fill up an entire set list and more like you're when you go you're kind of like disappointed there's not more songs that they could do like they have got a whole set list of absolute bops and it will be the best concert you ever go to like if you're listening to this and you haven't seen the killers yet when it is safe to do so, please do so because an amazing live band. But since they've kind of done that, I'm really happy for them just to like experiment with work like this. And I have to say, I really like Runaway Horses, which has Phoebe Bridgers on it. Mm-hmm. And she is literally on everything right now. Like she, really? yeah, she's going to be on taylor's version of red later this year very exciting and i believe she also has a little bit of vocal work on solar power by lord the other album yeah. that came out this month so we've been what hyping if- this one up for yes. a while we um, have i think because, because we're, we're so excited huge to see lord it. fans yeah yep we can finally talk about it we can finally talk about it we can it. finally talk about it yeah we couldn't say it last month lord. yeah we're gonna see Lord, but we're very, very excited. April, about it. yes, April twenty twenty two, in Seattle. In Seattle, yeah, yeah. Um, fingers crossed. I think yes. it'll. Yeah, it's gonna be great. I think um, we'll be good. I'm very, very excited about it. Very excited to see you, and very excited that we can finally speak about it because we had the tickets for about six weeks, but it was um, oh, yeah. a birthday surprise for one of our fellow lord fans who will be joining us so now we feel very excited about it it feels real now and the album is out Mm -hmm. which makes it even more real give us your uh, solar power thoughts my solar power thoughts gosh um i really like it i've listened to it a few times and have got pretty into it it's been really nice to like cycle to through the city especially at sunset it's no pure heroin or melodrama. Like those mm-hmm. were really raw, really relatable albums. And this one is like not as visceral and it's focusing on concepts that are a little more abstract for the average listener. So like rejecting fame or pseudo wellness, but it is a very fun vibe. I think if you go into it of a, okay, you know, if you didn't know this was Lord and you weren't expecting to hear something as, I don't want to say aggressive, but something that like really freaking grips you, you know, something that feels so raw mm-hmm. and visceral, like heroin and uh, pure heroin and melodrama, then I think you would love this because it's just like a fun vibe. 
I especially love uh, Mood Ring, which I think sounds a little bit like Supercut in part. So that might be good for yeah. fans of, of prior work. And then uh, Big Star I love as well, which is very 90s. And California and The Path. I think there's a lot of good songs on it. Yeah. I really like California. It's definitely growing on me. I think yeah. it's hard when you want an artist you love, like who, like Melodrama is in my top five albums yeah. of all time for sure um and like I think what's so clear about melodrama and pure heroin is that they are about very specific things like pure mm-hmm. heroin is about being young in like for her in New Zealand but it's about growing up in like our current world yeah and melodrama uh, is about a breakup I don't know what solar power is about other than like we all went through a horrific four years and she didn't go on her phone in New Zealand is the very bitter way of uh, reading this album. Um, I think the more generous way is like, yeah, it's about fame and it's about how you deal with that. And um, I think she like, she says it in the album. She said in interviews, like she's not writing for other people and she's not writing to like guide people spiritually through the world. Um, Which is like, I think what a lot of people were putting on her after melodrama spoke so much to people. Um, so I like huge props to her for just doing whatever she wants to do and like having fun. And like, it's a, it's a fun album. It is. Yeah. And exactly like you said, good for her. I think the problem that I have is when people are like, oh, you're just mad that she's happy now. And I'm like, that's not it. That is so reductive. No, like people make fantastic albums when they're happy. Like Casey Musgraves, for instance, who, by the way, I'm very excited to uh, listen to her I'm next so album. I'm so excited. Oh, yeah. That is going to be good. But I don't like, I'm not saying that I don't like happy music, but mm-hmm. it's when you expect someone to create things that like literally like grab your heart and squeeze it. And then they come out with something that's like, I'm vibing on a beach. Like, it's yeah. a bit jarring. That's what it is. I, I'm not begrudging anyone for being happy, but – and I don't necessarily need her to, like, grab me with sad emotions. Like, you can grab people with happy emotions. But mm-hmm. it is a pretty, like, chill record, I think. I think part of it, like – part of the problem is that, like, we thought August 2021 was going to be a certain way. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And it just wasn't. Yeah. Um, and I think um, that contrast of then, like, it was just the mood and the vibe of, like, what the world was like as yeah. the album dropped that kind of, I think that explains a lot of people's criticisms about it. Yeah, I think um, there's, like, a really stark contrast between that or, like, Phoebe Bridger's, like, Punisher, which I think <laughs> dropped at a, a strangely, mm-hmm. like, perfect time. Like, it was in April 2020. Was it April? No, I believe it might have been, like, later, like, June. And... It was all very like introspective and mellow. And I feel like that's what we were all doing then. And mm-hmm. yeah. Or like things are a bit Charlie more complex. Charlie XCX's like pandemic album. Yeah. Yeah. Like that felt a vibe. Or even like thinking of like this in the Antonoff canon um, mm-hmm. as it like is something he produced, which is like a weird thing. But like it's like the new St. Vincent album, which like was written and produced at the same time, like feels much more. It's just like a fantastic album. I can't believe it. It's like uh, insane. Yeah. Yeah. Folklore, you know, one 
album of the year. And I think that really grabbed people and, and felt very, what we kind of wanted, um, life to be like in an attainable way like it dropped in Mm -hmm. was it december last year maybe gosh it could have been even earlier and it was just that feeling of we are all still inside but she is doing inside in a very cute way and i wish i could do that so yeah it it felt more attainable than like some of what I think, especially the thing with solo power is like the focus on rejecting fame and stuff like that. It isn't very relatable to most fans and could actually be like offensive to fans. Like I've had conversations with people that are kind of like, oh, I feel like she's just telling people to piss off. And, you know, she said that Mm -hmm. she wants to only perform at small venues so her true fans can be there. And they're like, well, I'm a true fan. I didn't get a ticket, you know? So it depends how you interpret it. I said I really like the album, so I don't. Yeah. I don't have I a huge problem with like it. a facet of the fact that a lot of albums get listened to collectively now. Like we don't like sit in a room together, but like mm. they become a cultural moment. And like Agreed. last week was Lord Week, and like <laughs> and everyone that's what everyone was talking about. And the same thing happened with folklore, or yeah. Like, and I think albums. the discussion has been interesting around it. Like I think a lot of people are very harsh, and I think the tone was kind of set by people not particularly loving the singles i think there's like better songs on there like for instance mood ring i think is a bop and everyone i've spoken to is like oh that's probably one of my favorites on the album as well so yeah maybe maybe jack antonoff is helping people pick singles as well because taylor swift picks really poor singles too and i'm like is he the common factor here like i think this album admittedly i think it was hard to choose singles off of it because Usually singles are, like, the things you, like, open or end a concert with. Like, they're right. big. They're or they thematically they're... tie it together. So I guess, like, yeah. solar power makes sense. But then you're sort of like, where do we go from there? And there aren't, like, this isn't a big showy album. Yes, exactly. Exactly. But we like it. So thank you for mm. listening to our very extensive solar power chat. I think we are the primary scholars on the subject now. And so are you. You've listened to it. So, welcome to politics. Mm, mm, um, mm, mm. I don't know about the rest of you, um, and maybe this became was apparent in our reading, watching, and listening, but um, politics and myself, not vibing that much this month. Um, That's unfortunate, because you are working on a thesis for your yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. political um, science, science master. So, I think- mm-hmm. I think the fact that I am writing a thesis on politics and so spend so much of my day thinking about it um, is part of the reason why current politics and I aren't vibing. I think Fair. also that's just been the mood on uh, Twitter specifically, mm-hmm. um, which maybe shows I should read less Twitter. Get off that um, app, Micah. Get off it. Get off it now. But I'm I gonna like delete. Being, I feel like it, it makes me informed, but maybe you're it you're followed by uh, uh, Stephen Garza from Boy State. So you I am probably, followed you by Stephen Garza by Boy State. So yeah, yeah, I can't. I can't. I am happy deleting um, it because I follow this guy on Instagram called Big Dirty Fry, who I definitely recommend following, and he does funny tweets of the day. So I never feel like I'm missing out on a funny tweet because he does the best ones, and I'm like perfect. So just a little pointer for you, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Um, maybe next month I'll have very exciting politics segment for you. Because yeah. 
that will not be on Twitter. But and the news has been like a little sad. It if has you've been following it at all. Um, and it was really hard to dig through all of that. So it, I was incapable of creating a nice, succinct breakdown of a political moment for you this month. We all need to recognize our limits, and that was mine. Um, so I thought I'd kind of dive into a highlight reel of points of politics that I've found that I've been thinking about a lot recently, um, and then point you towards um, different media on the internet that I have found interesting and oftentimes useful when thinking about these topics. Um, that would be so very that... helpful. I think the news has been very overwhelming this month and it's mm-hmm. just been like depressing without any direction. So if you could do the opposite yeah. of that, that would be great. So um, speaking of depressing without direction, um, there is a direction though. Um, the first big thing that happened in August was the IPCC report, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which was the intergovernmental panel on climate change report that they released at the beginning of August. Um it was kind of hard to miss, but basically what it said is that climate change is real. Mm-hmm. Big shock. Um, and that we are experiencing the consequences of that right now. And that those consequences are going to get worse. Um, so think wildfires, extreme weather events like excessive rainfall or drought. Think of how bad Hurricane Ida was in Louisiana mm-hmm. um, for us yesterday. Uh, for you a couple days ago mm-hmm. and um so yeah that that's one half of the report the other half of the report is that um while it's bad and it will get a bit worse we actually have the power to make sure it doesn't get like apocalyptically bad mm-hmm. um and so if we take drastic action right now we have the ability to stop the really truly awful um, effects of climate change. Okay, that's good to hear because yeah. I feel like so often everyone's like, we're dying and it's billionaire's fault and that's it. Like, that is it. Mm-hmm. And I actually did, I started reading a book, but unfortunately my loan expired, but it was called something like How to Survive Climate, How to Deal with Climate Anxiety or something like that. I'll link it in the show notes. And yeah, one of the first things the book was like is we need to stop framing this as a scare tactic um, or just like mm-hmm. depressing people is we need to be positive and resilient and like look after our mental health in this and get, you know, f- look for real ways that are meaningful to you because you can't do everything to create change. So if you know any ways to create change, Micah, hit me up with them. Yeah, um, I think all the like things I want to recommend have that kind of the same kind of tone. Amazing. So first is a video by Simon Clark, who is an astrophysicist and YouTuber. Mm-hmm. And he has a video that kind of outlines the contents of the report and some of the science and points you towards how things can get better and like what actions need to be taken. Um, more kind of like for the soul. Um John and Hank Green have a podcast, which I think we've talked about before, Dear Hank and John. Um, and in their one of the the episode that came out after the IPCC report, mm-hmm. um, they had a really useful and kind of comforting section about climate anxiety and um, what actions can be taken and the silver lining of the report. Um, 
and like framing it as a possibility instead of as kind of inevitable doom. Okay. Um, I, I love that, that really helpful. Yeah. Do you have the exact um, episode? Like, could you link that? Because I will love yeah. to listen to that. I will link everything I mentioned in our thank episode you, description. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, Hank Green also made a couple of videos about climate change. Um, the other um, person I wanted to mention is Lena Norms. She's a British YouTuber who kind of started her channel talking about publishing. So she does have stuff on that. But she has a whole series about dealing with climate anxiety mm-hmm. and the things we can practically do about that, both like personally, so we're less anxious and then outwardly so we can affect change. So she's British. So she talks a lot about um, like stuff that people can do in England, mm-hmm. but also like has um, like the most re- recent video I watched where she went through her zero waste makeup collection and like talked through both like the products as she did her makeup but also like why having a zero waste makeup collection like isn't actually how we're going to solve climate change and Mm -hmm. this is something that she does for herself because knowing that she has some impact matters but that actually we need to be pushing companies and governments to be doing real change um she's like incredibly smart and i just like her videos are like 20 ish minutes long and i find them really helpful yeah like measured Mm -hmm. so that's climate change keep an eye on that one um (laughs) keep an eye on that one yeah yeah um relatedly um the other thing i've been keeping my eye on quite a bit is the canadian election Mm. um it is that time of year again sort of um i feel like y'all are having these all the time oh yeah so um for our American listeners, mm-hmm. uh, most of the world runs on something called a parliamentary system mm-hmm. um, in which elections can be called by the prime minister whenever they want them to happen. Um, typically when they lose the confidence of the house. Um, but Justin Trudeau just kind of decided he wanted to have an election because he had a minority government. And um, mm. so now we're having one. Um, unlike America, our elections are very, very short. This one is only 36 days long. Ooh. Um, it's speedy. It's on September 20th. Oh, coming um, on. Wow. We're, oh, we're yeah. well into uh, the 36 the, days. We're, we're like a week and a bit in, yeah. Um, so the big issues on the table um, are vaccine passports slash cards, um, whether vaccinations will be mandatory to like travel across the country because in typical liberal fashion, they announced a policy, but then didn't actually enact it and instead held an election. So nothing that they did will stay if they don't win. Gosh. Um, they also, daycare is also something because, um, that policy they started, but never finished. Mm. So if that is realized they need to be reelected. Um, Other two big things, housing affordability, which is an incredibly huge problem in Canada, and climate change. Um, Polling, recent polling says that the climate emergency is people's top issue this election. Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, that shouldn't be surprising, but it kind of is when you think about vaccine passports and cards seem to feel so new and urgent that... Mm -hmm. 
I'm really impressed that people are thinking long term with things like climate change. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, if you are Canadian, um, register to vote. If you have moved recently, double check that you're registered. Everyone can vote by mail. You should have to vote a little bit earlier. You have to request your ballot before September 15th, um, and then you have to get it in before the 20th. So it's a big tight turnaround. Um, this election um, is going to be incredibly close, it looks like. Oh. When literally 12 days ago, we thought it, they were going to win in the landslide, the liberals. So it's been a time. Um I've been really liking listening to some Canadian podcasts, um, mm. specifically um, Canada Land, which is run by an independent news organization, and they're slightly left of center. Um, independent news is really important because almost all of Canadian news is owned by three people. Mm. Um, so they have a general podcast about just like news, and they talk about the election yeah. a lot, obviously, but they have a new podcast. Um, called the white savior which is about the we charity scandal so yes do you know we charity or free the children mm, i feel like America. free the, free the children sounds very familiar we charity sounds mm. like something that the we work uh people came up with is it mm, it's not so the we charity was started by two kids in canada well ostensibly were they like um, literal and... minors or like, yeah, yeah. Our age? oh okay wow um but it turns out, like, as the podcast showed, that it was really their parents. But, like, of course, they were the of kids. course. Yeah. Um, and it, like, became huge. Their big pull was, like, these concerts, essentially, where big celebrities and musicians came and, like, did speeches and played music and, like, empowered the youth. Okay, so this is um, sounding like we work right now. But Yeah, yeah. Um, and it turns out they got into this big scandal because... They got a huge amount of COVID relief money in a very oh. sketchy way from the liberals. Um, and that kind of disappeared. Um, but anyway, so this is like a huge fixture in Canadian politics. And like, personally, like I went to these big like concerty events when uh -huh. I was a kid um, and was like thoroughly inspired at the age of like 11 or whatever. <laughs> um, and it's really interesting to see like, the seedy underbelly of like one of the most influential charities in Canada. Yeah, gosh. So. Okay, that sounds cool. That sometimes yeah, like yeah, and it's yeah. Well when I'm even looking for like a a short like true crime podcast, that kind of almost sounds mm. like it's in that vein. It is. Yeah, that's how it's framed. It's like here's what we thought it was, but it was not. Juicy, juicy, um, juicy, juicy. Yeah, and it's a great name, the White Saviors. Mm. Um. So that's the Canadian election. Moving It'll on. It'll be over soon. <laughs> yes. Oh, my um, gosh. You're covering a lot in yeah. this episode. All right. What's next? What's yeah. next? What? So um, I think you'll have noticed in the last year, um, but Indigenous politics and resistance has been something that's been on the brain a lot and I mm -hmm. think really important to not forget about. Mm -hmm. um, so in Vancouver specifically, or in, on Vancouver Island, there have been protests um, and a blockade set up um, to prevent logging of an old growth forest um, in Ferry Creek. Um, the blockade has been up for a year, but the police have become increasingly more violent in the last over the summer. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and they've been pepper spraying not only protesters, but also journalists. Oh, my gosh. Um, they've arrested 597 people so far. Whoa. Um, and um, we'll pop a link in the description to a fantastic Teen Vogue article. Because <sighs> Teen Vogue, at the forefront of political reporting. Right? They um, really are. Their, their so politics good. column is so freaking good and i actually have the privilege of knowing someone who works on that team so oh that's um, amazing yeah yeah uh yeah. really great people on it and like yeah just on top of the news there mm-hmm. they're great um and this article is really good their reporter is one of the reporters who was pepper sprayed and like threatened by the police and wow they're continuing to do really great work under pressure um if you want to learn more about American indigenous resistance um, the podcast This Land has come out with its second season um, it's fronted and about often the Cherokee Nation but this is this new season which I've, I've only listened to a little bit of it is about the connection between the Native Children Act which is an act about Native children and child care mm-hmm. and social work um, and how the far right is using that act to further their agenda through like different um, through like trying to get it up through the Supreme Court because the laws around like reservations and indigenous land in the U.S. are very complicated Mm. and tenuous. And so if you get rid of, if you challenge one act in the Supreme Court, you could break down like, all of the other laws around indigenous rights to their hmm. land. Um, so the far right is interested in getting some oil from indigenous peoples and like, of course, also about like nations within nations and whether that's allowed. So interesting, interesting stuff. Um, good to listen to. And then finally, <laughs> the, I think the thing that has made us all kind of like, jaded about the news this month mm-hmm. has been um the pullout of the u.s from afghanistan and the ensuing um humanitarian crisis mm-hmm. um it's been really awful and i think punctuated by the fact that like this is a war that has been happening for longer almost as long as we've been alive and like right. for an entire like conscious existence um so it's really hard to kind of grapple with and there's a lot of throwing of like accusations of blame from both sides um sometimes getting thrown at people who were like two years old when it started um like i don't know what you wanted us to do when the war in afghanistan started um we were not in power still are not so um instead of like trying to figure out what's happening um we'll pop some links to charities to help refugees and there's a bunch of mutual aid happening that tries to get money to people in afghanistan who desperately need it that would be amazing Um, Micah. because again i think that has been something that's been difficult to wade through like there's so many um organizations Mm -hmm. out there kind of like claiming to give aid but like what really does there's a lot of discussion around that and you know where is like the best place to direct money what can i actually do that will like really help and it would really be Mm -hmm. good to to have that handed to us yeah so i will hand that to you in our episode description and do that work thank Um, you so yeah that was a tour of my um august 2021 brain um 
sorted out for you in some meaningful way, I hope. Um, next month, I will return to you bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, hopefully having almost finished my thesis so I have more space to have a fun political discussion with you. So for our pop culture corner this month, uh, I thought I would talk about British influencer and TV personality Molly Mae Haig because she was named creative director of UK-based fashion retailer Pretty Little Thing. And while this is definitely an exciting announcement for her, it got a lot of people, myself included, wondering how this will influence the future of Pretty Little Thing, which is a fast fashion giant. So thought we would start off very basic. Who is Molly Mae? Micah, are you a Molly Mae aficionado? I am not. Okay, get ready. You're probably going to want to follow her on Instagram after this because she has got some very bright teeth that are very addictive to look <laughs> So as I mentioned previously, she's a 22-year-old influencer and TV star. She was the runner-up on the fifth season of Love Island UK in 2019. She was coupled up with uh, boxer Tommy Fury pretty much as soon as she came into the villa. She was a little bit lighter than some of the other contestants. And they're still together now. They seem very, very happy. It's very, very cute. And she also now has 6 million Instagram followers, which is a pretty chonky number. And it's so many. It is so many. It is so many. And, you know, since being on that show, she's been able to leverage her Instagram followers into a very, very profitable business for herself. She's created her own self-tanning line and has shared many sponsored posts to the aforementioned millions of followers endorsing brands like Kylie Skin, Look Fantastic, and Starbucks. But one of the brands that she has worked with most often is Pretty Little Thing. Are you familiar with Pretty Little Thing, Micah? I am not. That's probably a good thing, Um, just on the DL. But they are a fast fashion brand and just like to define fast fashion here. Um, fast fashion to me means a brand that manufactures super trendy pieces at a super low price point and super often. So they don't really go by fashion seasons. There's no like fall drop, winter drop. I mean, they'll do something like that, but that's not their only thing. Really, mm -hmm. they're releasing new clothes all the time. Some fast fashion brands have got, you know, the concept to sale timeline down to like two weeks which is insane and pretty little thing are a really popular brand especially like in the uk where they're based but they'd be comparable to sites like shein or boohoo as well which i'm sure mm -hmm. you've heard of shein which i'll get back to later on so molly may initially collaborated on a clothing line with pretty little thing right after she left the love island villa in 2019. It's very, very common for the contestants on that show to get Pretty Little Thing deals after leaving. And she was reportedly paid about £500,000 for the collection, and it sold out in, like, hours. And since then, she has launched a few more, you know, edits with the brand. Um, she has done little, like, holiday ones, like vacation kind of wear, and it's very much in her style and marketed to her followers. But this month, she has stepped things up a little notch. So in an Instagram post that she published in August, Molly May wrote, 
I'm beyond ecstatic to announce that I am the new creative director of Pretty Little Thing for UK and EU. This is the biggest move in my career so far, and I can't explain my gratitude to my favorite brand in the world for trusting me with this role. PLT have had faith in me from the very start, and to now be a director within the business feels like a complete dream come true. So she spoke to fashion site Drapers about this and revealed that she'll be involved 24-7 from the first drawing to the mood boards and the color palettes. And to celebrate this new role that she's got, she's also released a new 30-piece clothing collection with the brand. So it covers all sorts of things, things like little tops, little blazers, which is very much her style, (laughs) but also things like swimmer. And the sizes in this collection range from 4 to 30 at prices ranging from uh, 50 pounds to – or 5 pounds to 50 pounds max. So. translation of that into u.s sizes sizes um i believe a four in the uk is oh no why my math has gone backwards i know an eight in the uk is a four here so a four there would be like a zero so we're talking like Mm -hmm. tiny 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 to 30 to 20 Yes. 226. So like a 3X, yeah. Yeah. This is not a math podcast if you haven't <laughs> already realized. But to also, also sizes are fake. Um, exactly. Very, very yeah. arbitrary. Yeah. But then to also give you like a dollar amount to the pounds, pretty similar. Like it's maybe about 650 US dollars for a shirt or something like that. Going up to about yeah. like $68, $70 would be the highest price thing in the collection. So scary affordable, which I will get onto in just a second because people are a little hesitant to celebrate this or at least celebrating with a caveat that urges action because, you know, Pretty Little Thing isn't known for being a very ethical brand. For instance, one of our favorite activists, Gina Martin, who we've spoken about Mm -hmm. many a time and we love, and you can follow on Instagram, uh, she tweeted in response to Molly May's post, would love to see you use your new influence, leverage, and power to push for your garment workers to be paid above a living wage. As CD, workers are now your priority too. So let's dive into this a little bit more because I think the underpaid garment workers is just like one of the problems with Pretty Little Thing and fast fashion brands in general. Mm -hmm. So Pretty Little Thing is owned by Boohoo Group, owners of Boohoo.com and a slew of other brands, many of which they actually kind of like acquired during the pandemic and you know, maybe it was like financial necessity for those brands, but they were high street brick and mortar stores that were then bought out and have only been able to retain their online stores, which has resulted in a lot, a lot of job losses. But Boohoo also made news in 2020 for allegedly forcing employees to work while sick during the pandemic and not allowing social distancing and then paying employees well below the minimum wage. So Pretty Little Things specifically was called out last year for paying workers in Leicester, England, 350 pounds an hour. So that is like, you know, we were saying five pounds is like 680 US dollars, 350, mm-hmm. even less than that. And the national living wage in um, England is currently set at eight pounds 72. So well, well below that. We're talking nearly like three times below that. 
So it's How not just them. How do that? Well, allegedly they had said that they had subcontracted that factory out to another company that were doing shady stuff. So it wasn't necessarily them, though their whole supply chain is their business, right? Like that's mm-hmm. absolutely ridiculous yeah. that you don't know that's going on. I won't accept that. Um, and then I guess you don't know the kind of people that are just like absolutely desperate for work and will take yeah, three pounds 50, you know? So you like, you think like filing taxes, like, right. I, yeah. I mean, like it, it, yeah. Yeah. It's a huge amount of work to be shitty, but here we are. Exactly. Exactly. But they were called out for that. And, you know, there's also been a lot of other things at fast fashion companies, you know, not just pretty little thing. So stealing work is a big mm-hmm. problem. You know, just this month we saw ethical clothing brand um, Pangea. I believe that's how it's pronounced. I'm sorry if that's wrong. They published an Instagram post showing how fast fashion brands like Shein, H&M, Zara, Boohoo, and Top Men created almost identical versions of their iconic sweatsuits, um, which ironically are printed with their sustainability credentials. So very funny. And they even, yeah, they even styled the photos on their site the same. So that was a little, a little embarrassing. And then, you know, we've also got things like the working conditions. So not only is there the appalling pay, but, you know, if you cast your mind back to 2013, I think the whole world was like in a lot of shock uh, when the Rana Plaza clothing manufacturing complex in Bangladesh collapsed, which was where a Mm. lot of fast fashion um, brands were outsourcing their production to. And that killed over a thousand workers and injured more than two and a half thousand more. So truly appalling. And it got people really thinking about what is the cost of their cute little cheap going out outfit. And, you know, another cost is obviously the environment. Like fast fashion brands cannot be good for the environment. They are using an excessive amount of like water, energy, carbon emissions, They're producing things at such a rapid scale. And then those things are obviously ending up in landfill a lot quicker because they are not produced to a high quality. But despite all this, fast fashion brands like Pretty Little Thing have actually grown in popularity in recent years, which I guess like shouldn't come as a surprise because, you know, people want to be trendy and they want to enjoy affordable clothes. But I think another thing is that celebrity endorsements have really helped to normalize fast fashion. So huge names in the U.S. like Kourtney Kardashian and Haley Baldwin have created collections with Pretty Little Thing. And uh, Sweetie also created one in June 2020 when all profits went to Black Lives Matter. So, you know, they're sort of operating on the auspices of doing good in the world. And... Mm -hmm. They're also meeting customer needs in a way outside of affordability and trendiness, which is size inclusivity. So, you know, we talked before about them doing uh, collections in sizes 4 to 30. They've also been creating collections with body positivity voices like Ashley Graham. So it is interesting to see that. I think another big reason behind all this is um, TikTok hauls and lookbooks. Oh, yeah. Yeah specifically Shein. So this brand made close to $10 billion in 2020, and they add about 
thousand new styles to their site each day. So that's insane. Yeah. They're making crazy cash, but they're also, you know, super, super cheap. So you can just like, it's it's just insane to think like if you're adding that many, but you're making 10 billion, the, the actual like price of the clothing is like nothing. So one Twitter user recently observed that $280 spent on Shein can create a year's worth of outfits. You could probably spend like $30 on there and get a whole outfit, like including shoes. It's, it's pretty wild. That's it's actually crazy. Yes. It is. It's actually the most visited fashion and apparel site in the world. And it is um, like analytics have shown the most talked about brand on TikTok. It's responsible for fueling so many TikTok trends, like not even just fashion trends, but like video trends, which then loop back into fashion and just create this whole cycle. So, you know, for example, users will frequently show off huge hauls of recent purchases like just showing other people how to get like this trendy top exactly where to click on the site how much it costs or they'll create things like themed lookbooks like here's what the different harry potter houses would wear or here's what the gilmore girls would wear in 2021 and a lot of the time they're using pieces from this site because they can be easily bought cheap and then if the person is an influencer that's even better because they can throw their followers over there and they can actually buy the pieces rather than if they were Mm -hmm. vintage, let's say. I think this is so interesting because, like, you and I were around – I guess you didn't watch YouTube, but, like, Mm -hmm. back in the day, like, lookbooks were still a thing and, like, all of this was a thing. But, like, people were shopping their own wardrobes most of the time. Mm -hmm. Like, it wasn't like, I'm going to buy all this stuff and here it is. Or, like, actually, Lena Norms, who I mentioned in my segment, does these kind of, like, same, like – challenges so she did dressing like um the mean girls but she like purposely only if she buys stuff it's from depop or she shops her closet i love that not producing new stuff um but like the the kind of scale of this i understand why she and has grown so much because it's so different than it was like five years ago that's the thing now it's like so short and snappy these videos are like 15 seconds 60 seconds long and it's not someone just doing like oh, here's one like Gryffindor outfit. It's like here's seven Gryffindor outfits and they all are like not just like a red and gold thing. It's like they're hyper-specific like things with the Gryffindor crest or something, you know? They're like, mm-hmm. they're they're so, so clearly just bought for this, you know? And we're just being shown so much more. Like as I said, 15, se- 15 to 60 second clips how many of them can you watch in the time you would have watched a whole YouTube video? Countless. And then how many outfits is each one of those spewing at you? So, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, people have got smarter now and they're figuring out algorithms and they're seeing, like, what works. And if one of those, you know, videos does really well, they're going to keep making more of them. And it's really spun in, a, I think, a quite dangerous direction. So that's kind of where we're at with it. I'm sorry if that's kind of like a... bum me out moment but i do think you know like michael did in the politics section i want to provide a little bit of direction about what we can do now you know so first of all in relation to molly may and pretty little thing i think we need to hold them accountable so when asked by the aforementioned draper is what her role as um creative director will involve she said i think just continuing to elevate the brand and make things even better as it's so current and on trend and relatable it's for the girl that wants a dress to go out but doesn't want to pay 70 to 100 pounds. Okay, okay. 
But then she says, and having my say and working toward our shared goals. Now, I want to know more about those shared goals because I think one of them is likely sustainability. In March this year, Boohoo Group launched a new sustainability strategy, which said that 20% of all its ranges will be sustainable this autumn and 40% by next spring summer. And that this September, Boohoo Group customers will be given the opportunity to see the supply change from start to finish at its factories, which they really should be already doing. But to kind of give you an idea of where we are now, I use a site called Good On You, and they have a directory where you mm-hmm. can look up different brands. So for example, Pretty Little Thing, which is part of the uh, Boohoo group, they have been given a rating out of five, as all brands are, from one, we avoid, to five, great. Predictably, they got a one. And for the planet, they were given two out of five. Um, some reasons being they don't use eco-friendly materials and there is no evidence that it has taken meaningful action to reduce or eliminate heart, uh, hazardous chemicals. And, you know, we can't see things like we can see the measures and reports from greenhouse gas emissions from its direct operation, but not from its supply chain. So a big thing with the environment for them is just like a lack of knowledge. Like they haven't provided Mm -hmm. clarity and, you know, their labor rating is also really poor. They got a one out of five for people. So again, a lot of it is like parts of its supply chain is certified as ethical, but other parts we don't know. They publish zero or very limited information about their supplier policies and audits. And they do not disclose any information about forced labor, gender equality, or freedom of association. And there is no evidence it ensures payment of a living wage in its supply chain. So it's really the lack of evidence here. So I think that as part of the strategy is going to be really important. Things like the 20% of the range will be sustainable. I don't know how much I... I buy that because I think even if you're making 20% of your range sustainable, number one, what are you defining as sustainability? But two, like if you're producing that many new styles every day, every week, whatever, aren't you kind of just negating any of the work that you're doing towards Mm -hmm. sustainability? Like I don't know how those two can exist. And I think we need to really push Molly Mae and Pretty Little Thing to make sure this isn't greenwashing. Like for example, Lucy Rose Donlan, who was also on Molly May's season of Love Island, launched a collection with uh, Sheehan in July. And she was saying uh, 5% is of the proceeds or the profits or whatever is going towards planting trees in my name in Madagascar. But I really don't see how like 5% of what, like if a top is like five pound, like whatever, how many pennies that is, is going to negate the fact that they're bringing out a thousand new products every day. Like how does that compute you know Mm -hmm. so i think this should be things like sustainability and labor need to be uh really on molly may's radar and there are like respectful ways of doing that at the end of the day she's 22 you know i don't want to like troll this girl and harass her but Mm -hmm. she is accepting a hell of a lot of money to advertise this brand and take on this position and there is people who are getting paid pretty much nothing to produce the work you know that yeah there's a problem there there's a little tension there so i think another thing we should all do is read how to break up with fast fashion by lauren bravo a book that i again i've spoken about recently and i just love she 
make saying no to buying fast fashion really non-shamey and actually fun. And I think a fantastic resolution for the rest of the year and going into next year would be for each of us just to like cut down on our fast fashion consumption. Because as I've said before, it's something that's really problematic in our world and is probably not giving you the most fun fashion experience that you could have. So, you know, she recognizes in this book that not everyone's perfect. As I mentioned, it's very non-shamey and she recognizes that it's not easy to resist the constant temptation, but some ways that we can do that are by unfollowing accounts and unsubscribing from emails and then always thinking before you shop. I think these fast fashion sites mm-hmm. with their thousand new styles a day and things like TikTok make it just so easy to like mindlessly buy things, like almost black out and just buy things. But some tips that she gave is never go shopping in clothes you don't love, you know, especially like if you're going in store, it can be so easy to be like, oh my gosh, I'm wearing sweats. And then I put on this like kind of okay dress and it's fine, but you'll buy it because it's better than your sweats, right? Really, mm-hmm. you should be going shopping in clothes that are benchmarked and thinking of them as like auditioning for you. But I think some good online tips are to make sure you can wear the item 30 times. Like, is this something that you're just going to wear for one occasion, like a little night out? Or is it something you can make use of again and again? I really like the idea of asking if you would kick something out of your closet for it. So if you don't love it more than at least one other thing that's already in there, don't buy And I think my favorite one was ask yourself if you were to buy, if you were going to go to buy the piece, like let's say in a store and like the register was broken, how long would you wait for them to fix it? Like if it's five minutes, Mm -hmm. I feel like you don't really need the piece, right? If you're happy to sit around for like an hour because you so desperately love it and you are willing to like look after it and hold on to it, then like go for it, right? But Maybe if you're online shopping, let's say you were buying online and then the website just like glitched out, would you actually wait an hour or two for it to be back in action or are you going to forget about it by then? I think that's um, really important. And then, you know, as I mentioned before, it's about looking after your clothes. So men clothes that are broken or tailor ones in your wardrobe that don't work for you as they are. I think you can get so much wear out of it out of clothes that way and it doesn't always have to be this constant like consumer cycle of mm-hmm. bye 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 um I'm also going to add like myself if you are currently making those like TikTok calls or TikTok lookbooks like maybe stop like I know this is like it's fun or it might even be like part of your job but there are other ways you can do that. As Micah said before, you could like do it from your own closet. Like of the clothes you already have, you can do it from like thrifted clothes or vintage clothes or like borrow them from your friends. I think there's like much more creative ways to do it than like going on a website and finding the exact thing you need because like the freaky cookies have like read your mind, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. I think there's some really, really fun ways you can do it and I don't think buying thousands and thousands of dollars worth of fast fashion and then just like selling it on Depop or Poshmark is exactly sustainable either. You know, we talked about loving Poshmark before. It's not just about putting your cost offs on there. It's about you shopping on there as well and keeping this like fashion um, in a circle, you know, but Mm -hmm. I think like whatever you do, don't be shamey about it. Don't shame other people. Don't go on someone's TikTok and be like, stop doing this. You're like killing the planet. That's, not helpful. I think this can all be 
like a journey and one that we're all coming to with like fun and positivity, you know, we can start to really enjoy shopping again or start to enjoy clothes again. And we can encourage companies that admittedly like do good things. They make very inclusive clothing and they, they make uh, super trendy pieces and they allow people with like not a lot of disposable income to engage in, you know, society and fashion trends, but we can push them to do better because they really, really can. These people like she had made $10 billion last year. They can, they can do oh, yeah. that, you know? I completely agree. I have, oh, I have another tip. <gasps> tell um, me, tell me. If you are into sewing, something I've been trying to do is in looking at something and asking myself if I can sew it. Mm. Like if it's within my abilities and if it is, then I will put it into a project pile and think I'll make that for myself. Because you can find like secondhand fabric yeah like thrift stores or like local organizations and then you make it yourself and like it's cool and it's a fun project or like you've been knitting and crocheting yes I have been crocheting a lot but honestly like I think sewing is what I want to get into maybe next or like maybe I'll get myself a machine because it's probably like the quickest way to do this kind of stuff like with crochet you're like bloody creating the fabric yourself you know you're like looping it all together it'd be awesome to like buy a fabric and just be able to like you know put some stitches in to make a shirt out of that obviously not that simple but I think that could be really cool um and it's also something that maybe gives you a bit more like bandwidth to fix your own clothes you know I Mm -hmm. got a dress tailored at a tailor recently just got it like taken up much shorter and got the sleeves like cut off shorter but you know what if I had my own machine I could probably do that as well so you could yes always a fun little project so if anyone has like sewing machine recommendations would love that (laughs) yeah for sure but that's my little spiel on molly may pretty little thing and fast fashion in general let's all do better with positivity and let's keep up this conversation we'll try and like share more resources on the pod instagram and just keep this train going. I think it's something that can be easily incorporated into our everyday lives. So not something we should just drop after this episode is aired. Alrighty, that is the end of another episode of Different Things Can Be Sad. Micah, have you got any plans for September 2021? Oh, this will be the first September since I was four years old where I have not been starting classes. <gasps> so proud of you. You big grown up. I know. So um, I'm going to finish my thesis as I am still a student. Um, and we'll see. Enjoy the fall vibes. We love fall vibes. I have already replaced all the soaps in my apartment with pumpkin spice scented soaps i have cleaned out target of fall candles and i have also been lured into bath and body works for their fall scented bits so i also intend to stock up on fall vibes for september maybe we'll do like a big fall special next month Mm, we'll see We'll see if that takes our fancy. Um, If you want to keep up with our fall vibes, you can follow me on Instagram as at Yasmin Lomax. And me as at Micah Hahn on Instagram and maybe not Twitter. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. Um, If you want to follow the pod, which is where you'll get 
plenty more info about everything discussed today and everything discussed in the future. That is at DTCBS podcast on Instagram. I repeat at DTCBS <laughs> podcast. But for now, bye. Bye.